a man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we offer this time to you. We ask you to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are indeed here with us. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, let's get ourselves situated. This little story, this parable about two brothers and their chores, which is what I want to spend most of our time talking about this morning. This story is in Matthew chapter 21, a biblical location which will be important for our interpretation because Matthew 21 is the beginning of Holy Week. Now, it's not Holy Week in the life of the church, of course, that'll come in five or six months, but for our purposes this morning, it's Holy Week in the life of Jesus. That's the context in which this story takes place. He's just entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey only a couple of days ago. He has cleansed the temple, cursed a fig tree, and now he's back in the temple teaching. This is the last week of Jesus' life, and things are coming to a head. So that's the large sort of arc of salvation history context. But there's a more immediate context to this little parable that Jesus tells, the context of the day. Jesus not only tells this story during Holy Week, he tells it in response to this challenge that is brought to him by some temple authorities. Because remember, he's just been in this temple, turning over tables, driving out money changers with a whip, and now he's back teaching. And so the chief priests and elders come to him and say, by whose authority are you doing these things? But rather than answer their question about his authority, Jesus turns around and asks them a question instead. And this is all prologue here, all setting the stage for Jesus' parable, which is what I actually want to preach about, those two brothers changes of heart, and what actually changes hearts. But in order to do that, in order to preach that sermon, we have to understand where we are. And so Jesus, questioned about his own authority, asks these chief priests and elders about John the Baptist. Was John, he wonders, acting on God's authority or on some human authority when he was baptizing in the Jordan. And so the priests and elders have a little huddle and decide that they're not going to answer. Because they're caught between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? They can't say that John was acting on God's authority because then they'd have to explain why they didn't believe him. And they can't say what they really think, which is that he's acting on his own human authority, because they know that the crowd gathered around them in the temple all believe that John is a prophet sent by God. And they fear the crowd. So they lie. We don't know, they say, even though they really think they do. 
And so Jesus says, he's not going to tell them by whose authority he's acting either. And it's then, by way of illustration, that Jesus tells them this story. A story of two sons asked to go do their chores. Now this is an incredibly simple story, just a couple of lines long. But it's going to tell the chief priests and elders who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It will tell them who can change a heart and who is mighty to save. The story does not turn out to be good news for chief priests and scribes, but for tax collectors and prostitutes, for sinners like you and me, the ones Jesus came to save. This story is good news for us indeed. Now, Father... Jesus says, goes to his two sons and asks both of them, one after the other, to work in his vineyard. And neither son wants to go work, right? We know the first one doesn't want to go because he has the chutzpah to just straight up tell his father to his face that he's not going to do it. You know, all the kids in the room right now are sitting up a little straighter in their chairs, right? We can do that? But no, you can't. And if it's a big no-no now... It was a huge no-no in the first century Jewish context. This is way over the line. Saying no to your father's face, no matter how you actually felt or what you actually planned to do. Saying no like this just wasn't done. So we can know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that this first son did not want to do his chores. He says so in a way that would have shocked everyone listening. And we also know that the second son didn't want to do the chores either because despite what he says to his father, I go, sir, he didn't actually go and do anything. Now, this was the more culturally acceptable move, but it doesn't change the fact of the situation. The two sons' hearts are in the same place. They're both hearts of disobedience. But there's a difference isn't there? There's a distinction between these two boys. The first son tells the truth, and the second son tells a lie. Neither wants to go do any work. Both have these hearts of disobedience, but only the first son is honest about it. Do you know that there's a church word for being honest about a disobedient heart? We have a word just for that. We call it Confession. And that's what this sermon is really going to be about this morning. Confession. And it might seem at first glance that this little parable doesn't have much to do with confession. After all, we don't have a, a tearful return to the father like we do in the better known parable of the prodigal son, for instance. In that story, confession is front and center, right? The son who has left comes home and says, Father, I am not worthy to be called your son. But there is a parable. In both stories, we have a changed heart. A son who begins the story with a heart of disobedience ends it in a harmonious relationship with his father, doing the work that his father has called him to do. So something happens, right? The son who says no to his father's face ends up working in the vineyard. 
Something has happened. And I believe that that something is confession. Now, as important as a changed heart is, and you're just about to hear me say that a changed heart is of utmost importance, but as important as it is, plain obedience is important in its own way too. Right? There's often a real world and real life benefit to doing something even if you don't feel like it. For instance, what we're doing right now, gathering with the body of Christ for Sunday worship is one such thing. There's a, there's a famous quote, which may actually be apocryphal because I couldn't find any attribution for it online. But the quote is, go to church when you feel like it and when you don't, especially when you don't. It's good advice. So I'm not saying there's no benefit to doing good things when you don't feel like it. In fact, please do good things when you don't feel like it and pray that God will change your heart. But remember that God is looking at your heart the whole time. Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, pointing out the discrepancy between their insides and their outsides, reminding them that God knows the truth of their hearts. So feeding the poor, for instance, is a good thing, whether you feel like doing it or not. But doing it to score religious points for yourself, while you scorn the people you're supposedly serving, isn't fooling God for a second. It's good that they're getting fed, but it's not good for your heart to be in a place of disobedience. Your neighbor or your father in this story will appreciate your good work, whether your heart is involved or not. But God... God wants your heart. So if these two brothers start with the same heart of disobedience, how does it happen that the first brother actually ends up going to work? Well, his heart must have been transformed. This is where the change had to have happened, right? In his heart. Jesus, of course, says that he changes his mind, and he uses the word mind again at the end of the text to condemn the chief priests and elders for not changing their minds and believing John the Baptist. But I don't believe that Jesus is trying to make a distinction here between heart and mind. He's just accusing his accusers. He's saying, you didn't change your mind when you saw the truth. The son in my story did. And we know from everything else that Jesus has said and what the Bible teaches us that it is a heart change that is required. And this is where we get back to confession. Jesus, remember, is telling this story to a bunch of lying elders and chief priests who feel one thing in their hearts but are too afraid of appearances and of the crowd to be honest about it. So Jesus tells them the story about the requirement of a change of heart. A son with a heart of disobedience who is honest about it. And then has something come in and actually change his heart. Now to find out what comes in. And this is the actual good news that we're talking about this morning. To find out what actually changes a heart. 
Let's turn now to our other assigned reading this morning from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. In these verses, we have a profoundly beautiful description of Jesus' lowering himself to accomplish the salvation of the world. Listen to what Paul writes. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is how we get from a recalcitrant son with the gall to tell his father no to his face to a son who willingly goes to work in the vineyard. From a heart of disobedience to the heart of a servant. From self-centeredness to loving service. From sin to redemption. And once again, we find that it is all about Jesus. And that's why the setting, Holy Week, and in the middle of the temple that he just cleansed, that's why this setting in which Jesus is telling this story is so important. Because while Jesus isn't a character in the story about these two brothers, he is the central character in the drama that is being played out as he is telling this story. The cross and the empty tomb are right there on the horizon, mere days away. The mighty acts that are going to cause every knee to bend and every tongue to confess are just about to happen. A confession, honesty about a heart of disobedience, is about to be met with absolution and redemption won by God himself being found in human form, humbling himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Jesus' little parable, we don't really get an answer to the why question. Why did the first son have this change of heart? He doesn't say. But Paul, perhaps Jesus' greatest interpreter, knows why. Paul knows the only thing that can change a heart. Paul knows, for instance, that the Lord spoke to Ezekiel all those years ago, promising to remove the hearts of stone from his people and replace them with hearts of flesh. Only God himself can change a heart. And Paul wants us to know that the way he has done that for all time is on the cross. Therefore, Paul says, because of that great and sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross, therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven, on earth, under the earth, everywhere. 
Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ and his finished work changes hearts. And Paul, writing to those Philippians and to you and to me, says, let this mind be in you. You should be like this too. You should be lowering yourself. In other words, you should be confessing. You should be honest about your heart of disobedience, your shortcomings, your sin. What is for Jesus an act of will, lowering himself from a deserved, exalted status, is for us, for you and me, an acknowledgement of the truth, a confession of our hearts of disobedience. We admit that we are the very sinners that Christ had to become in order to accomplish our salvation. Remember that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bend. That's confession. Acknowledgement of the truth. Confession is the appropriate response to hearing the name of the Holy One. Jesus Christ, the Lord, the one who has laid aside his holiness to accomplish your salvation. And the result of this confession is a new heart, a changed heart, your heart of stone removed from you and a new heart of flesh given you. You are a new creation in Christ. And having heard the lengths to which God in Christ went to win your salvation, you will not be able to help but go out into your Father's vineyard. You will not be able to help doing, as we pray at the end of every service, all the good works that he has prepared for you to walk in. This is a renovated heart, a new heart, a new life given to you in Christ. Our hearts of stony disobedience need to hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard with equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This good news, this gospel is so good that it changes us gives us new hearts and new lives. We hear Christ's name and our knees bend. Our tongues confess that he is Lord and we are not. And then, and now, we go out into our Father's vineyard, ready to work with a joyful heart, a new heart. Jesus is the creator, giver, and sustainer of this new heart, and his gospel is what makes it beat. Jesus died for the ungodly, for sinners, for you. And then, through his Holy Spirit, he inspires you. He works in you and makes you new. He changes what was once an intolerable chore into an awe-inspiring privilege. To labor in our Father's vineyard. 
And he does this by having done all the chores already. By removing the disciplinarian, by fulfilling the law, Jesus did it for you. So now, in light of the finished work for Christ, for sinners, you can go out into the world, into your Father's vineyard, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus' accomplishment, you are moved. You are changed. You are reborn. Thanks be to God. Amen.